to turn in our Bibles this evening. And uh, really, thanks for coming. Tomorrow we have, a, we have a barbecue at the Lions. And yes, I'm inviting everybody to come. Please don't kill me, Sean. <laughs> We're going to have a later. Uh, he's going to kill me later. He promised me, because this is Texas, that he's going to have like a, we're going to, we're going to slay a, a, a slay a steer, a Texan steer. And we're going to have a steer barbecue, right? We're going to do that? Maybe? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> he can't say no now, right? So, um, we're going to, a very small steer, right? Like a little piece of it. Okay, like the toenails, right? Um, and it's going to be from one to six. So if you can't come right at one, then just come a little later. We're going to be there. There's going to be time with kids, and uh, they get a nice backyard. Volleyball. Volleyball, and no snakes, right? No. No people eating. People eating ants. But uh, we um, we've just had so much fun last night. We had a little little Bible study wrap at the house, and we were laughing so much, and uh, it's just such a spirit of joy. I think that that really demarcates the life that is a signature of the life of the believer, is that uh, we are not carrying around with us our burdens and trying to make our life work because God is bigger than all of that, and God's plan is so much bigger than us trying to make it all work out. And I just want to share for a few minutes this evening about... And I'm not going to stand behind this big pulpit because that's a little, that's kind of big. But I wanted to just talk a little bit about God's calling in our life and our needs. And when we think about, this is, this is the weekend before Easter. And when Jesus Christ came on this earth, his primary passion was to communicate the nature of God that was so hidden to the religious world. Imagine Israel. Imagine this evening with me, Israel. The Already the thousands of years that Israel already existed. And Jesus comes to Israel, and he begins to communicate to this nation that has departed so far from the actual mission of grace that had been established in the uh, first, second, and third chapter of Genesis. They had already departed from God's purpose of grace. And they were so blinded to the grace and the nature of God that they had begun to already add thousands and thousands of rules and regulations to already the Ten Commandments. Moses gave, through the inspiration of God, Ten Commandments. And on top of that, you find the religious mafia of the day called the Pharisees adding tens of thousands of new laws to those Ten Commandments. And so at that point when Jesus came, he came to a nation that was overburdened already with laws, rules, and regulations. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but the average person could have felt very easily disqualified for the love of God, disqualified for the grace of God, and disqualified for anything that could happen good in their life. And so you know what religion and religiosity does to people and to cultures? It creates a high-achieving society. How many of you consider yourselves as achievers? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know that anyone that is breathing today understands that I have to achieve in some way to get something. I have to work to get a paycheck. I have to do this 
I have to invest this way to get this in response. I have to go out like Adam, and this whole type of achievement mentality begins with Adam. Remember Adam in the garden? God says to Adam that by the sweat of your brow, the grounds will produce fruit. And that is the whole beginning of the achievement mentality that plagues us today, even as Christians, that if I do something for God, then God's going to give something back to me. And that's not the way God thinks. That's not the economy of God's grace. And so I just want to just share with you just for a few minutes this evening about really this amazing theme of God's calling and God's redemption. Redemption is the biggest word that we can find in the Gospels. It's the most amazing word. It's one of the most important words in the Gospels of Jesus Christ. First, I want to just start with a short story that really happened to us when we were traveling in former Yugoslavia in an area called Bosnia Herzegovina. And there's a little town, well, there's a capital there called Sarajevo. And if you remember correctly, in the early 90s, for those of us that are a little older, uh, there was a civil war in Yugoslavia. Do you remember that? That they were just genocide and xenophobia and all of these uh, terrible things that were going on because of just a breakdown of society. And people were literally killing other people. And it was a nation, it was a, it was a combination of several nations that were different ethnic groups that began to kill each other. And a war broke out and uh, there was just some unbelievable atrocities. Unbelievable. It was just so sad what had happened. Not too long after that, we were able to go there with a small group um, and just visit some of these towns that had been riddled with war. And you could see in some of these small towns there was still the animosity towards other ethnic groups. Um, we went to the capital of Bosnia-Herzegovina, which was really the hardest hit. And we were really expecting to find broken people. You know, we were expecting to people find people that had been broken down by war and that had been ready to receive something. And when we got there, we found just the opposite. We found very proud people, very arrogant people, very hardened people. Because war and, and war and difficulty does not break people. Sin does not break people. It actually makes them harder. And so when we found these people, we were just sharing the gospel on the street in a park in Sarajevo with people. And we were there for 45 minutes. We were going to spend the whole day there. And the response was so terrible. It was so bad. It was so hard. I said to my team, you know what? We're just going to get in the van and we're just going to leave. <laughs> this is like not an open place. And, and people are not happy that we're here. And it was just so, it was just so bad. And I said to God, I said, God, if you don't send someone to us in 10 minutes, and I don't pray like this, but I was just so frustrated. I said, God, if you don't send us someone in 10 minutes, we're in that van and we're going to go to the next town. You know, like the Bible says. Go to the next, brush the dust off our feet and go to the next town. And so we're walking and I'm kind of putting our tracks away. And, and someone I hear in the, in the back behind me says, hey, you guys speak English. And I turned and there was like this man there standing by a park bench. And on the park bench were some kind of beat up old books that he was selling. And he called us over, and he was kind of like a middle-aged guy, and, and he just began to speak to us in, in, in pretty decent English. And he said, you know, um, what are you guys doing? And I said, oh, you know, we are, 
we're just here, we're Christians. We just want to share with you like about the love of God and about what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. He goes, oh, no, no, He's, I'm a very bad man. I said, oh, really? And I just thought, you know, how bad are you? <laughs> I should just ask, you know, for can't get any worse than the way it is now. Goes, no, I am so bad that, you, that God doesn't even, there's not even a place for me in heaven. I said, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, I, he goes, I was part of a special military unit, part of the uh, aggressing forces that I was a sniper. And he said that what I would do was is I would be on the perch of a building in the main part of the city of Sarajevo, and they called it Sniper Alley, if you remember what that was. And he said, anybody and anything that moved on that central street, I was tasked to shoot and kill it person, child, animal, whatever. And he says, I can't even tell you how bad, bad things I've done. And he, and he said, I, I, I am worse than a murderer. I, I'm a calculated monster. And, I just, and he was really kind of like beat up, damaged, like he his, it looked like he had been wounded or something. And he said that he was part of a military unit of 12 men that were responsible for keeping the tanks from moving into Sarajevo. And he said his entire unit was killed he was also severely injured and later on began to work for the UN. But he said, I am a very bad man. And I thought, what do you say to somebody like that? A guy that actually was tasked to kill people. And immediately I thought, Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle was a man who was targeting women and children and Christians. And he would drag them out of their homes and bring them to the magistrates to accuse them and see them murdered. And we actually know that Paul the Apostle was responsible for overseeing the death of the, of the first martyr of the first church, Stephen. And I thought, you know, there's a man in the Bible that is worse than you. He goes, you're kidding me. I said, no. And it's in the, he's in the New Testament. His name is Paul. He didn't just target people. He was looking for great, amazing Christians. And he was, he was persecuting them. And as I began to share with this man about the grace of God and what God did with Paul and how he, how he transformed Paul's life, he began to, he broke and he began to weep and he received Christ. It was such an amazing thing. And I thought, this is why we came to Sarajevo. And we were there, we went to lunch with him and he's still in contact with us today. And I'm telling you that story because when we think about the grace of God and we think about God's calling to people, we're thinking that God is only calling good people. That in some way that God is asking us to change ourselves. And we're thinking that need and helplessness is not attractive to God. You know, we live in a society, don't we, here, that if there's someone that's needy and helpless, we kind of look down at them a little bit, right? We can be in some way a bit condescending. And we think, where is that person's pride? And where is that person's energy to improve his own life? And we live in a world, a world system that's anti-God and anti-Christ that propagates this type of doctrine or this kind of gospel that God helps those who what? Help themselves. That is probably the most anti-grace anti-gospel slogan that can be out there. God helps those who can help themselves. Well, if you can tell me someone that has helped themselves and has incurred the grace of God in their life, please send them my way. I would like to meet them. 
Because God does not help those that can help themselves. Jesus came and he said, I have not come to heal those that are not sick. I've come to the sick, to the publicans and the sinners. And you know what the thing is about need and helplessness? That that actually attracts the grace and the compassion of God. One man said it this way. He said, he said that um, if you want to experience God's grace, then all you need is need. All you need is need because, and you don't need anything else. And he said, but that kind of spiritual humility is hard to muster. You know, when we come to God, we think, okay, God, you know, I've got everything together. I'm doing good. I'm not failing in this area of my life. I'm not struggling with this addiction. Um, you know, we kind of tell people about our amazing testimony about how life was before and how I... But like when we are struggling with things, we think that our need and our helplessness actually aggravates or annoys God. But that's not the case. God desires for us in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 to come to him in the time of need. You know, when we are weak, when we're struggling, when we have temptation, or when things in the marriage are not going great, or not the ideal Christian marriage that we're supposed to be, that everyone thinks that we are, or maybe I'm, a, I'm a, a young person that's part of a Christian family that's really not doing great but trying to keep up appearances. We kind of think that God is annoyed at us. But you know what the Bible tells us? That God draws near to a broken and contrite spirit. If you're broken in your life, and I'm sure that everyone in this room, everyone, has something in their life that is broken. And if we're broken in some way in our life, God is not waiting for us to fix that so that we can be socially and religiously uh, accepted. God wants us to come to him with our dirty diapers and with everything that's wrong and say, God, here I am. Here I am. Just like that old hymn, which I love that old hymn, Just As I Am, without one plea. You know what that means? Here I am with, without even one excuse. God, I don't even have an excuse for my situation. I don't have an excuse for my unbelief. I've been a Christian for 70,000 years, and I've been in every, you know, but yet I can't trust God for my electric bill, or I can't trust God for my job, or I can't trust God for my relationships. And you know, when we come to God in need, we're like, sometimes we're like, okay, God, okay, I'm sorry, I did everything I could, I tried so hard, I, I just... I, I, I applied all the Bible teaching I've ever heard and I, all the Sunday school classes and all the counseling and nothing works. So God, I'm just coming to you and just, I'm really sorry, but I, I just got to, here I am. And we're kind of like thinking, well, God's saying, you know, you should have come to me right at the beginning because when if you came to me right at the beginning, then you would have experienced my compassion. You know, the compassion of God sees us it discerns our needs and the riches of God's grace are motivated and stirred up to meet that need. Christianity is not about us trying to make ourselves better people. We think that the goal of Christianity is that I would become more holy and that I would sin less. That's really in, the, in every one of our minds. I mean, no longer, it doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, 
the bottom line, the, the thin film of our psychology as a Christian can be, God wants me to become a better person, to sin less. And that really is not the goal of Christianity. That is not the message that Christ preached. The, the goal and the calling of Jesus Christ is not that we would become better, but that we would, be, that we would become occupied with God's calling. And this is why you see so many churches today around the world, around the world engrossed in their internal problems and breaking up because they don't have a vision or a calling. They don't understand the calling of God in their life. And I just want to say a few things about the call of God. You know, God's calling is really a calling of redemption. It's all about redemption. If there can be redemption in a situation, then God gets glorified. Think of Luke 15 with me about the prodigal son. We hear this message so much, don't we? We hear the message about the son comes to himself and he, and he says, if I go back to my father's house, I can be one of the servants. And, you know, and, and so much, so often if you go to some places, the emphasis is put on the, on the prayer of repentance. You know, like you got to pray that prayer and really repent and really repent hard and you got to really mean it. And that's what many times the, the emphasis of that scripture people preach on. But you know what the emphasis and the, the, um, the main points of that story here in Luke chapter 15 is when the son comes to himself and he remembers his father's grace and his father's love. Because in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, it's the goodness and the kindness of God that what? Leads us to what? Repentance. Repentance. It's not my emotional sorriness and not, I'm so sorry. And that can happen. We can be very broken. But repentance for the believer, it does not include me having to really beat myself up and promise that I'm never going to do this again. Repentance in the Bible always refers to the son remembering the father's grace and the father's love. And that's when change happens. And that's the only time that we can hear the call of God in our life. Remember Peter when he failed, when he denied Christ three times. Now think of who this was. I mean, think of it. You got to think of this with me. Who was Peter going to be in the kingdom of God? He was going to be the future CEO of the kingdom. <laughs> he was going to be like the. He was going to be. The, he was going to be the first apostle. He was going to be the main guy. Jesus is going to be using Peter to be building his church. Peter was a big guy, and who, who fails three times? Not just once, not just twice, but he, the, triangula, the triangulation of sin like exacted on Peter. He failed three times. And this was the plan of God to, to prove to Peter that the calling of God comes when we understand our deepest need and our in the least of the, the least level of qualification. When we understand that I am not qualified, I don't have the capacity of faith to believe God like all these great people say they have. When I really believe, when I understand that my life without God is nothing, at that moment I'm a candidate for the compassion and the grace and the calling of God. How many understand what I'm saying? What I'm trying to say here this evening is, is that the call of God in our life is not about me 
or you trying to improve your life to a place where you can be a better person. That's the gospel of the world system. That's the gospel of of the self-improvement movements, which is becoming so closely integrated with Christianity today. We're finding that the self-improvement movement is becoming so integrated with Christianity today because Christians forget that salvation is by grace and that we grow in grace. When Paul And I want to read this verse to you. Remember in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul said that when it pleased God, he separated me unto the gospel. Remember that when Paul said in Galatians 1, verse 15, he's talking about the beginning of his calling. And just for the next couple minutes, I want to talk about our calling and your calling in Jesus Christ. Because we have this thinking that, well, when I become perfected and holy, and when I have become the type of person that I think I should be, then God will call me. No, Paul didn't say that when I perfected myself, then God called me. He said, when it pleased God, he called me. He separated me unto the gospel. And what he's saying is this, is that in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul was saying that I have been made a minister according to what? The grace, the gift of grace. In practicality, the plan of God for your life is based on the gracious work of God in our lives. Meaning that if God has called you, then he has already equipped you and qualified you for his plan. God's plan in your marriage God's plan in your family, God's plan in your relationships, God's plan with your kids is not based and conditionally based on how well you perform. Do you know what I'm saying? God's plan in your life is based on the abundance of his grace. And when, and when we learn that, that when we understand that if I fail, it doesn't mean it's the end of the plan of God in your life. We see in the world... That if someone messes up, and, and you know, if, if you're a politician or you're in, that, you're in the public limelight and you mess up, then there is a consequence in the external <clears throat> way. And that person that messes up, like maybe a CEO of a big company, really messes things up, what he does is he goes out and he just he commits suicide. Because for him, failure is the end. It's the end of him trying to make things work and portraying something that is not really happening in his life. Failure for him is the end. But for the believer, when we come to that place like Paul did, we understand that I am not qualified, I am not able to qualify myself, at that moment we can fellowship with the grace and the mercy of God and we can begin to experience the beginning of God's plan for our life. Paul was not interested he was not overly occupied with his own character or really what, how he was doing. He was really focusing on God. And I, I want to say this on the practical level, that I think that in Christianity today, we can see a lot of desperation, can't we? We see people doing extreme things because you and I have been made to walk by faith in our life. We've been made to walk by faith, to take steps in our life, trusting God. 
when we're not taking steps of faith in our life and branching out into the exciting, adventurous plan of God, then something within us remains unfed and it remains unnourished. And we begin to seek that in other places, in other people, in other situations. And what can happen is is that when a Christian or when a church or an organization loses their vision, their vision for world evangelism or loving their neighbor, then there's a certain measure of adventure and excitement that is lost in that believer's life. And they start doing things like bungee cord jumping, or they begin to do these radical extreme things that we can see on YouTube. How many have seen on YouTube these Red Bull stunts that these guys do? You know, they're just doing these crazy stunts and they're filming it with a, with a GoPro camera. They do that because they were made for the adventurous walk of faith, but they're not living it because they think they're disqualified. They don't think that God's calling is on their life. I just want to say that when you and I, and I've been thinking about this the last few days, because when we started these trips down here, some of you can attest to this, some interesting things begin to happen to you, you know? When you start walking by faith in God's exciting calling for your life, you're going to notice a little turbulence, (laughs) spiritual turbulence. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, wow, ever since I started associating myself with those people, a lot of warfare has started to happen in my family. Like, things are happening that have never happened to me before. The first time I came down here was in September. And when I got back, my wife and I got back to Philadelphia, because I'm, I'm pastoring in Philadelphia, a church there. Uh, two days later, I had a very serious bike accident where I smashed my collarbone into a million pieces. And, you know, I had to have, like, this titanium plate put in there, and it was very bad. I mean, I could have been killed in that accident. And I thought, well, what's changed? Like, why, you know, why this, I'm, you know, I cycle, I know how to cycle, I'm not, I'm not an amateur. And I began, and then other things were happening to my wife and I with our business, and different things were happening, and I, and then we, it took some time, and we discovered, wow, this is warfare. Because you know what happens in the believer's life? When you start walking by faith in the grace of God, and knowing that, you know, if I take this step, I don't deserve it, but because God is a God of grace, I can expect something gracious to happen. When we start taking steps in our life like that, then the devil hates that so much. And the devil doesn't want you and I to understand that in Romans 1, verse 17, and I'm almost done here, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to what? Faith. So when you take a step of faith in your life and you develop a platform there and you say, okay, I'm here now, I want to go over there by faith, and you start moving in this direction, when you're going from a place of faith to another place of faith, you're going to get some turbulence. Why? Because the devil is beginning to see an invisible God made visible by your faith. When you say, you know what? I'm not going to live in being offended. I'm not going to live in bitterness. I'm going to forgive this person. Uh, I'm going to love this person unconditionally in my family. I'm going to... I'm not going to hold grudges against that situation. That's faith. And when you and I start functioning in the nature of God about circumstances in our life, we're going from faith to faith to faith. And the righteousness of God is being revealed. An invisible God that we don't see in the world today is being revealed in a visible way. And you and I don't know it. We just, we're like Job. We have no idea what's going on. Job had all of these crazy things happen to him, and, and 
Did God tell Job what was going on at the end? Do we see that God at the end of the book of Job say, okay, Job, sit down, let me tell you what was going on, okay? We don't ever see that happening with Job. Job never gets answers from God. He has to trust God by faith. And when he did that, then God begins to move in Job's life. When you take a step of faith in your calling, I remember when my family came into the, into the church. My dad had just gotten saved. We were going to a real dead church somewhere that you know, was deader than dead. And we were just going there. And my dad was so, and we, we came into a church, this church. I was like an 11-year-old kid. I remember we were like a successful middle-class American family. Life was good. Everything was great, you know. Come into a church that has a vision for the lost, you know, the gospel of grace teaching, you know, a, a daily cross. I mean, we just, my, my family just got hit with this spiritual warfare. But we had so many blessings happening on the, in another way, too. Because the devil does not like when you and I trust God. And I'm going to finish with this, that we sometimes are afraid to trust God for things because of, because of unconscious, unconscious guilt. And we say, you know, he's worthy to be blessed by God, but I'm not worthy because things are not really great in my life right now. But you know, Jesus comes to find the most needy, broken situation because in the most needy, broken situation, that's when the riches of his grace and the riches of God's power are revealed. This is abundant Christian living. When we come to God and we say, God, I know I don't deserve this, I know I shouldn't even be praying this prayer right now because 30 seconds ago I wanted to murder somebody. But I'm going to just, you know, not, not that's maybe not the case, but I'm not really a great person 30 seconds ago. Maybe I did want to murder someone. I, did, I mean, whatever. And got, get, at that, we call it the moment of grace. The moment of grace happens when we believe that, when we think that we, be, we deserve the least of God's graces, that's when we come to him. Just like the prodigal son in Luke 15, he comes and he has his whole statement of repentance prepared. He begins to like, he begins to start saying the whole, you know, dad, I'm sorry. He doesn't even get halfway through his confession and the, and the dad stops him from the confession, wraps his arms around him, and the dad is just amazed that his son is home. That's what grace does to us. Grace leads us out of our predictable life our religious life, our life of disqualification, and says, you know what? Do you want to really live? Do you want to really spiritually bungee jump? Do you want to get on a mountain bike and drive off the side of a mountain, you know, by faith? Then take a step of faith in my character. And this is the practical application. Maybe there are things in your life today that you're standing on the edge of something. And you're like, if I take this step in my life, Am I going to just drop a thousand feet and, and just crash on the bottom of the canyon? Or is God going to lead me out? And the answer to that is, if you and I take a step of faith, hearing the voice of God in a certain direction, and we say, you know what, I'm going to just take a step, and I'm going to trust that God's there and He's leading me. When we do that, that's when we begin to experience the life that God has called us to. We think that our life is just a, a random series of events, but you and I are here tonight because of the divine appointment of God. This room is full tonight, or partly full, because of God's divine. We're not here because of some accident. I mean, 
Think of how meaningful life is when you look at your life as every event is God-ordained. Isn't that amazing? You know, isn't that a great way to live? That brings so much meaning into your life. I have so much meaning in my life when I realize, you know, even my mistakes can be redeemed by God. And this is the whole story, and this is the whole point of the message tonight, that God's plan is a plan of redemption. And when redemption is involved, then God gets all the glory. And when you and I feel needy, and when we feel tempted, and we feel like, you know, God, I'm not feeling like a great Christian today, that's when we need to come to God and say, God, because, you know, that's when compassion begins to happen. That's when, that's when God begins to be stirred up and, 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 and moved by our needs. How many of you are parents, and when your kids come to you, and they're all messed up, whatever that's going on, there's this measure of compassion that is stirred up in our hearts, isn't it? You see your child's plight, and you're just, they're maybe having an emotional breakdown, but you're so stirred up for them, and that's the heart of God. We're sometimes so far off in a foreign land like this guy was in his mind, the prodigal son, but the compassion of God is so unfailing that we can come and be boldly approaching that throne of grace in a time of need. And we can look at our life and say, you know what? I'm going to prepare for something great in my life. Maybe I'm 50, maybe I'm 60, maybe I'm 70, maybe I'm 12, maybe I'm 15, whatever. And say, you know what? I have a great outlook in my life because I can't fail with God. And God is for me. And when we live like that, everything changes and we begin to be someone that lives in the bold grace and the mercy of God. And I just want us to understand that as we go this evening, that that whatever you're facing in your life, just know this, that God wants to work in your life in a way that you and I could never qualify for or never deserve because God is the God of all grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's close in prayer and we'll have some more worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight. We thank you that where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. Romans chapter 5. That's amazing. Sometimes when people struggle with things in their life, they think, okay, grace is not abounding right now. And I'm right on the edge right now. God's, God is just tolerating me. But no, when we go to God in temptation, we can experience the compassion of God. Because Jesus was tempted in all points, but without sin. So that means that when we are struggling with something in our life, and we can't tell anybody, maybe we're afraid to say something, we can go to God and say, God, this is what's going on. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And this is my need. And when we have need, then the compassion of God just begins to fill our empty cup. And he heals us. And he sets us free. And we thank you, God, for that. We just thank you for this meeting. And maybe you're here tonight. I don't know everybody here tonight, but maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Maybe you know him as a historical figure. Maybe you've gone to church for many years and you've heard about Jesus Christ, but you've never asked him to be, to, you've never asked him to come into your life. And he's here tonight and he wants to come in and he wants to grace you out. He wants to give you and I something that we can never deserve. Just say, dear Jesus, I want to trust you. I want to trust you tonight as my Lord and Savior. It's the right thing to do. Jesus died on the cross. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a religious figure. He's the Son of God. 
Ask him into your heart tonight. And when you do that, Jesus will come in and he'll change everything. Maybe you're here tonight and you're on the verge of making some decisions. Present it to God. Just say, God, here it is. Maybe things are going good, but I'm afraid it's going to go bad. That's not grace thinking. Just say, God, I'm presenting you my situation. I'm presenting to you my pain, my hurt, my unforgiveness. When we do that, the cross takes it away, and he gives us something much bigger, a bigger love, a bigger <coughs> capacity of faith. Lord, we pray for our young people. God, we pray for our spring and summer before us. Lord, and we know that things can look impossible and overbearing and overwhelming, but Lord, you just, that's your modus operandi. Miracles are just the way you roll. Lord, we just want to trust you for that, God. And bless each person in this room. Uh, give people the desires of their heart. Order their steps. We love you and we praise you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So tonight, um, after the worship, we're going to have a little break. There's some refreshments here. And then we're going to have like a Q&A, a question and answer time. Maybe if you have some questions or comments, you can do that. Okay? So let's have the worship team come back up and...